Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad, no one will film it. These brave podcasters will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's a good part, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee and Trevor Thompson. You know, Trevor, I think my favorite part of that new intro is that it refers to us as these brave podcasters. It's not brave. Yeah. Because what we're doing, it it takes courage (laughs) to hide behind our microphones and make fun of people more successful than us. It's the middle of the day and we're in a room where the curtains are drawn. We are cowards. It's true. And the curtains aren't drawn for any sort of sound thing or or light. It's because we're afraid this this screenwriter is going to see us through the window mocking him and come beat us up. He sounds like a tough cookie. So this is uh, part four of Termite Terrace, the very revisionist history of Looney Tunes, uh, and fictionalized, where all the characters have fake names for reasons that we really don't fully understand. Yeah, because you can they can still use like Looney Tunes names and 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 cartoon names and and stuff like this, but the people's names no. It's just all very confusing. So let's just go ahead and get caught up. Previously on Table Reads. Pete, now co-running his own animation unit with Landy, has discovered that Landy is not dying as he claimed, but was using that as a ploy to get the higher paid director job. Meanwhile, Pete has won the heart of Dot and married her. Uh, Mostly from saving her from some cops during a union strike. Like a superhero. He's John McClane now. So anyway, when we left off, uh, some of the gang had just been sent by Mort to represent the studio at the 1940s World's Fair, which was introduced by a large animated sequence uh, making jokes about the World's Fair. Fade in. Exterior World's Fair evening. A real crowd at the real fair with Pete and Clark among them. Clark is very hungover, and Pete steadies him as they cross the bright plaza. Hold on, dude. Okay. Who did this to you, Clark? Girl from the Belgian pavilion. She had this brandy. Brandy of the future. It ages you, right? What? Curb here. (laughs) They step onto the sidewalk, and Pete shepherds Clark into the Van Brewster floor wax building. It's another streamlined wonder, with cut-out Warner cartoon characters happily wielding mops on the roof line. That's weird. Mops? Yeah. On the roof? Who mops a roof? <laughs> uh, Looney Tunes character. I guess so, yeah. Interior, Van Brewster Pavilion. The lobby is decorated with murals of happy families and Warner cartoon characters using Van Brewster floor wax in the home of tomorrow. <laughs> there are doors to an off-screen auditorium with signs reading, Looney Tunes Cartoon Carnival. The signs have names. I mean, uh, voices. Occasional laughter leaks from inside. In the lobby, a few people in big head costumes circulate, uh, circulate, greeting kids. 
A Daffy, a Porky, a Sylvester. The animators meet the public too. Ned flips pencil drawings and talks to teenagers. Nearby, Jerry praises a little kid's crayon drawing of Porky. Slim, with a film can under his arm, comes over to Pete. Hey, Pete! Pete leans in to read the button pinned on Slim's lapel. What's this? I have seen the future? Yeah, General Motors exhibit. Look what I got! That's fresh from the lab. You ready? Interior projection booth. In the pavilion's projection booth, Slim and Pete give the film can to the projectionist. A cartoon is running. The antic music and projector noise drown out their voices. Interior. Audit you know, I'm really glad I didn't take the time to get special <laughs> music for this script. Yeah. Because it does not deserve it. No. No, I was thinking an uh, episode one to myself, boy, it'd be nice if we could play Carl Stallings music. No, it would not. No. It would very much not. <laughs> In fact, you know what? Let's take a moment to reflect on this lovely sort of whatever this is Irish to be. countryside music. The, yeah. <laughs> I think it's perfect because this script doesn't deserve better. No. Not at all. Uh, interior auditorium. Pete and Slim enter from the lobby and stand at the back of the full house. On the screen, a live action short is playing. Mort Gustafson, Gustafson <laughs> in his office, doing his stiff best to project warmth as America's Mr. Laughter. I believe it's pronounced Gustafson. You're right. Yeah. Where we come in, Mort's back is to camera as he works at an easel hidden by his body. By he the way, just for the records, this is a Disney thing. Schlesinger never did this. He never pretended to draw for the public or anything. That, that was a Disney thing. Not that Disney couldn't draw, but the when you see the film of him drawing, Freddie yeah. Freddie Freddie Moore, the the top Mickey animator, had to teach him how to draw Mickey, his own creation for publicity. This has been another animation <laughs> history minute with Trevor. Thank God it's only a minute. Um. America's Mr. Laughter. Where we come in, Mort's back is to camera as he works at an easel hidden by his body. He turns and talks to the audience, revealing a drawing of Daffy Duck. Hi, come in. I was just putting the finishing touches on my friend Daffy here. You know. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. It says attempts, attempts chuckle. chuckle. <laughs> 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 I like to do Paul Rubens from 30 Rock. Ah! It's good to laugh. You know, I get letters from all over the country. People asking what kind of wacky scrape Daffy is going to get into next. Slim points at Pete's attention along the back. Slim points Pete's attention along the back wall to the other <laughs> lobby doors, where Mort, in person, stands with them, some big shot looking visitors. Pete and Slim exchange looks. Here goes nothing. <laughs> On screen, left it back and laugh with another Looney Tune adventure. And a cartoon fills the screen. The Wild Hair. With Ooh. Elmer Fudd telling the camera, Shh, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. Now, I know what you're thinking, Sean. You're thinking, God, that was not a good Elmer, and I'm ashamed of myself. And I know you are, and you should be. But you literally gave the Elmer that is deserving of this script. It was appropriate. Thanks. I think. It was also my best. <laughs> Also, it's my birthday. <laughs> Go 
come fuck be, yourself. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. For the record, my Elmer's horrible too, so. Ang- you know, he should be the easiest voice. But he is a voice that uh, even Mel Blanc didn't do for yeah. many, many years. Yeah, for 20 years, actually, after he died. Angle on Mort, thinking, wait a minute, while on screen, Bugs emerges from a rabbit hole, munches his carrots, knocks on Elmer's pate, and asks him in his new true voice, which is actually different in the actual thing, but whatever. Want some, Jack? Shh, I'm hunting wabbits. Yeah, what do you mean, wabbits? You know, wabbits. Wabbits. (laughs) Wabbits! <laughs> a first laugh from the crowd and a wave of relief on Pete's face. Can I just say, mm. interrupt here, uh, what's up, Doc, is, yeah. is what got that first giant laugh from the crowd, Yeah, historically speaking. Yeah, because they couldn't, people didn't, <laughs> they, it was like, wait a minute, you're firing a gun into my house and you're casually going, hey, Mac, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's up, Doc, got uproarious laughter. Mm-hmm. That is why What's Up Doc became his catchphrase. Yeah. It, it wasn't written here as a catchphrase. Because here it would be like, if, if this was true, then Elmer's catchphrase would be, you know, wabbits, wabbits. And he'd be saying that all the, all time. the time. Although it, it maybe maybe it did because it named a series. Wabbit. Uh, first laugh from the crowd and a wave of relief on Pete's face. Forget about Mort. Pete and camera look around at the audience. People of all the world's ethnic... Okay, so they are Cameron's saying at this point that Pete is the director of A Wild Hair. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Read that again. I must have missed that. Please say that again. Okay. A first laugh from the crowd and a wave of relief on Pete's face. Forget about Mort. Pete and camera look around at the audience. People of all the world's ethnic groups laughing as on screen Elmer confers with Bugs. So he's relieved yeah. because he was told not to make a rabbit cartoon. Now we have a wild hair on screen, and Pete is like, whew, it's they're going not, over well. They're not explicitly saying that he directed it. I think it. they are. Mm, they're not. Wait it out. Explicitly say Wait that. it out. I bet he gets yelled at for directing this cartoon okay. or something. All right. It'll come up. Pardon me, but you look just like a wabbit. Eh, come here. Listen, Doc, now don't spread this around, but uh, confidentially, I am a wabbit! A big laugh. I I did deliver. Yes. (laughs) How's it feel? Feels great. And his survey... You know what? You're right, Sean. That's where they're going. Because if Clampett is looking to Chuck to be like, hey... How's that feel? You got your first big laugh and you're not your picture. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. I think this is how's that, that feel direction. watching text succeed. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm I think I'm with you now, Sean. I think that's where they're going. Jesus. And his survey of the audience turns up a kid of about six loving the cartoon. Looking like a six-year-old Pete watching Felix the Cat in a barn. You see this? People from all over the world, and they're not even killing each other. <laughs> Like you got it now. Got what? X, the unknown. People like that. But Mort doesn't. We see him burn as he ditches his guests and goes into the lobby, while on screen, Elmer Fudd goes into an angry tantrum. Wabbits! God 
buns. Wabbit twaps. Wabbits, wabbits, wabbits. <laughs> and the door behind Pete and Slim opens up, Mort gesturing them angrily into interior lobby. Mort, steamed, talks as quietly as he can to Pete. You son of a bitch. You run, you're running the studio now? No, sir. We, Mort. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Slim. Mort, Mort. You tell me. You tell me. I'm sorry. You tell me could do this? A wave of laughs from the auditorium off screen. Yeah, and I was right. You hear that in there? That's called laughing. That's, yeah, how wonderful. Laugh at this. You're fired, pal. He's fired? You want to go with him? Um, I'm going to need your help here, Sean. Yeah, I'll, I'll be slim. Okay. Yeah. No. You know something, Mr. Gustafson? I don't think you know what you've got here. These guys... He points around at some of the terrorist guys meeting the public in the lobby. They're doing something for people. People are starting to look this way. You keep your voice down. And for people that have to, have to work for people like you all day. And the least you can do is, don't you tell me how to. He's raising his voice. Terrorist guys and civilians alike are coming over. As Slim's anger builds, the look on his face, like the time he burned the drawings. For the record, my anger's building. Just listening to this. Jesus fucking Christ. All I'm saying, talking about people are laughing. You don't even know it's a goddamn business. Who the hell cares of people? No more. That was slim, by the way. No more. And suddenly he's hitting Mort. <laughs> For a beat, it looks like normal frustration. The guys are on his side. Oh my God. this. But is... Slim keeps at it, hurting Mort now. And Pete and other terrorist guys try to pull him off. Slim. Slim, no. Hey, come on. Come on. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill, whoa, whoa. chill. Come on, stop. Chill. In 1939, is that what they were saying? <laughs> I'm giving the script everything it deserves. Exactly. I think you're giving it more than it deserves. <laughs> oh, I hate this script now. What episode is this? Four? Yeah. Ugh. Hey, 26 oh. pages left, buddy. Oh, fucking we can good. do this. You don't remember the story about Bob Clampett beating the shit out of Leon Schlesinger in public at the World's Fair? Yeah, beating yeah, be beating up somebody who he admired and was, by the way, legally related to by marriage. Yeah, that guy that he hated. Yeah, I remember that. I also remember when Chuck, a year into the studio, Stop. having learned the ways of the studio. Created Bugs Bunny. Um, and standing up for everyone that was there. Oh, fuck you, Chuck. I'm hold glad on, you're hold dead. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Everybody, I would like you to go Google a picture of Bob Clampett. You, we'll wait. Yeah, go for it. Go Google Bob Clampett. And uh, then I want you to close your eyes and picture him beating the shit out of the inspiration for Daffy Duck's voice. Out of anybody. He's one of the happy go most happy go lucky yeah. people ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want you to I want you to picture this guy beating the shit out of a marshmallow. Mm. <laughs> um yeah, Leon okay. Chuck did not like Leon, but Leon loved Bob, which is another reason Chuck didn't like him very much. And the guy in the porky pig costume. Uh, you know, if <sighs> Joe Dante wanted to make this movie, he should have, instead of just talking to Chuck constantly. Yeah. You know, Clampett was alive. Yeah. He could have gone. Well, in, no, he wasn't. Didn't Clampett die in '92? No, no, Clampett died in '84. That a early, 84, really? '85. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, Sodi was looking after his in, after the uh, the interest at that point. Um, Frizz was alive until '94. Yes, yes. Go talk to fucking Frizz. Yeah. And Frizz didn't pull any punches either. Frizz. Go talk to Mel. Know. Go talk to June Foray. Yeah. 
these people were around. Jerry Beck, any of the any number of the historians out there. Yeah. You know? It is very it's instead it's, just just let Chuck run over history and paint himself as yeah. king shit. I've always thought of Chuck as king shit. Yeah. That's changed. That's now. why we're so mad, guys, is as as fans, you know, it's one thing to be self, you know, aggrandizing and everything, but when you actually have the goods aggrandizing? Isn't that what it is? Self-aggrandizing? Self-aggrandizing. What did not I say? aggrandizing. I said the same word and you're getting no. worried about the syllable. It, no, it's the it's the pronunciation. The, yeah, it doesn't Agrin matter. versus aggrandizing. It makes no difference. Anyway, the point is, it's the fucking, I was on a good flow and you fucked it up. The point is, is that, that's what I do. That's why we're mad about this. Is That's why this is so infuriating. It's not just a bad script and it's not the, the whole like, thing about Chuck. We already thought he was great, but yeah. it wasn't enough for him. Yeah. He, want, yeah, he needed to pat himself on the back and it's like, well, pat yourself on the back for shit that you actually did, Chuck. Yeah. There's a reason, you know, the, the, we love you because of reason there's good reason for why we love you you don't need to make shit up yeah i mean you did what's opera doc you yeah. don't need to take credit no. for the creation of bugs bunny yeah and that's the for other thing fuck's sake and that's man. something he he accused clampett of too he accused clampett of claiming to have created bugs and where's tex in all this <laughs> tex that, that's a long story when did tex. tex die um before clampett um it would have been i think 1980 late 70s yeah tex did not have a tex had a very sad ending to his life in fact he was working at an uh advertising agency and uh when kool-aid came to you know was was the new client for that ad agency uh they walk into the animation department and tex is standing in there and uh someone goes all right uh so uh bugs bunny is going to be doing the this next kool-aid ad is there anyone in here that can draw bugs bunny yeah, that that those were Texas last years. It wasn't uh, wasn't great. Wow. Um, just want to give you a little bit of uh, kudos here. While you were telling that story, mm -hmm. I was looking up both Clampett and Tex, mm -hmm. and you got both their years of death correct. I did? Oh, 1980, wow. 1984, respectively. Wow. I am the Looney Tunes critic. Well, I wonder if I got Frizz's year right. I think it was 94. Yeah, we we better not forget those years when Chuck and Frizz died because we remember the day. That's like that generational thing about the Kennedys, you know, about when Kennedy was shot. Yeah, for oh, us, 95 for Frizz. It was 95 for Frizz and uh, 2003 for Chuck, I want to say, because we were making the process at, at that time. I remember, that. I remember, actually, you woke me up. <laughs> When you type in Chuck Jones and IMDb, it says actor Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did play Mr. Jones. 2002. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. Like, that's usually the thing that you're most known for is, yeah. is the thing that comes up in the suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Nobody typing in Chuck Jones is <laughs> like, who? <laughs> who was that iconic guy yeah. sitting that, next that guy to Billy? drawing in the bar. <laughs> who was that? No, Billy was drawing. He, Chuck was just watching Billy draw, and he goes, "Yes, yeah, you're doing very well." Oh, but wasn't it wasn't it a Chuck drawing? No, it was built. No, in Gremlins, remember that fucking the the lady who owned the town, that shitty bitch who uh, who dies later with and, the, the the stair right, chair right, thing. Right. So Billy is drawing a, a picture of her as like a she monster. Yeah, know? no, I I know that it's Billy drawing, but yeah. I thought that it was actually a Chuck drawing no. that was being passed no. off as his. No, but that would that would have been better. 
All right, where the fuck are we in the script? Uh, but Angle on the wildly fighting Slim shows us a face cut. Oh, no, no. Because uh, we did uh, that. They're, they're all breaking it up. And yeah, then the and the guy in the Porky Pig costume, a big kid under there, jumps in to help pull Slim back. But Slim, looking more unhinged than before, wheels around, looks into the face that he's drawn 10,000 times, and snaps Fiercely lighting into the fuck you, fuck, uh, fuck you, uh, fuck you. Fiercely lighting into the kid, uh, freeing the frightened Mort, but scaring the terrorist guys even worse. Bob Clampett beating the fuck out of a mascot now. <laughs> a porky mascot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, more, more breaking up. Slim, come on! It's just a kid no, in the show! No, go, let go! Let go! Oh, he's it's not wearing, Porky! Don't you love oh, Porky? He's not wearing pants. But Angle on the wildly fighting Slim shows us a face cut off from reality. A moon of frustration over that I have seen the future button. <laughs> Exterior, pavilion, evening. Ugh. As World's Fair security guys rush to the building and the evening fireworks show casts its acid glow overhead... <laughs> <laughs> and we fade to exterior, Pete and Dot's house, dusk, <laughs> establishing a small house in Whitley Terrace, a fixer-upper in the process of getting new paint, lawn, etc. Pete pulls up in his car and gets out, carrying his portfolio, looking beat. Interior, house, entryway, Dot is a few months pregnant. She lets Pete in, greets him with a kiss. How'd it go? You didn't kiss me, bitch. <laughs> Pete shakes his head. Follow them to the half-furnished living room. That where, wasn't dialogue, by the way. <laughs> where he sinks into a chair. I saw the guy at Disney. He was nice. They're just not hiring right now. Even the guy who single-handedly <laughs> created Bugs Bunny? Are you serious? <laughs> Sorry, that is not dialogue. No, but it should be. You'll get something. I'm supposed to see Universal Thursday. I don't know. I talked to that place. What did they say? Said he's stabilized, quote unquote. Can we visit him? Soon. You know, the last thing he said to me before that all happened, he said that I had X, the unknown. Is that good? I wonder. You know, for a long time I came out here, all I wanted to, was to be just like him. I don't think it works to be just like anybody. Pete looks at her, nods as we dissolve to exterior Warner's lot day. Mort Gustafskis. And why does Jack Warner? I'm sorry. Jack Warner's in this fucking script as Jack Warner, which we said in episode one probably oh, wasn't going to happen. Sorry. That's right. We did say that. But yeah. Why does Jack yeah. Warner get to be? In so the I guess we need to rename Warner Brothers <laughs> to. Warmed up brothers or something. Yeah. Ringling brothers. Yeah. <laughs> or warmer, warmer brothers. I like in that there was a Daffy Duck cartoon where they did that. Okay. Uh exterior Warner's lot day. Morkeschlarfleshen is walking down a studio street when Hey Gustinson. Gust yeah, he says it wrong. He does say it wrong. Good. <laughs> hey, Gustinson. Mr. Warner. He runs into Jack Warner. 48-year-old king of Hollywood, going twice as fast in the opposite direction. Walk me. Mort reverses course, hurries to keep up. Took my grandson to your show at the World's Fair. This kid, 
I'm telling you. You take him to gangsters, he cries. You take him to musicals, he goes to sleep. Anyway, you're one with the rabbit now. He loves that. Wouldn't shut up about it. Uh, the one with... I mean, I gotta laugh, too. He's... Keep the carrot, right? Oh, sure, the carrot. That, that... So, more of those. And then you have another thing. And then you have another thing, because I'll tell you, the mouse is great, but nothing goes on forever. The mouse? <laughs> yeah, you know. He spots another employee. Curtis, come here. And leaves Mort to his own devices. Interior, Mort's office. Hating to do it, Mort makes a phone call. Nugent? Listen, um, I'm thinking of doing some more pictures with a rabbit. I'm wondering if, you, if you'd like to come over and... What? Well, people like them. Grits teeth. Yeah, congratulations to you too. Very much. Anyway, if you'll get in here... If... What? He dislikes this next part so much, it's barely intelligible in the first, the first time. If... Taking over in Slim's room? I said taking over in Slim's room, you deaf! He hangs up, broods a moment, then tries sketching bugs on a slip of paper. It's hopeless. It's he knows it. Into the trash. <laughs> like he's like, I'll I'll take a shot at this. How fucking hard can it be? I'll just draw Bugs Bunny forty eight hundred times. <laughs> um, in exterior sanitarium day. Sanitarium. So hey, no, no, hold on. Enough Metallica. Was Bob Clampett ever hospitalized for the crazies? I don't think so, but I don't know. Pete and Dot, in their car, pull up outside a sanitarium near L.A., a big old building on rolling park-like grounds. Interior, Slim's room. Pete and Dot come to the doorway. It's a small room with spare furnishings, no decorations, and a window on the yard. Slim, in street clothes, sits on a chair beside the bed. Though he's no different physically, he seems diminished since we saw him last. A little quieter and more hesitant with a uh, deep, brooding anger and violence that yeah. came out of fucking nowhere and was completely unmotivated. Yeah, because like I've been playing Slim the way Clampett has been perceived, you know, for over the years as a happy dog, like just excited to see you. And it, I'm realizing now I'm completely doing it wrong because this character is not that. Do you recall earlier when we said how this was a, a perfectly competent script? Sadly, yes. That is gone now. Yeah. It's not competent because no. a competent script motivates changes in character. Yeah, there's no reason for Slim to suddenly be mad at Pete. Yeah, you had you had Landy. He was suddenly he was congratulating disliking. him about yeah. he was about laughter like no, ten pages ago. Well he uh you had Landy being mad at Pete for a little while for no reason. Yeah. Like it just there were a couple scenes where Landy didn't like Pete or his success and relished Pete's failure. And then they're partners and he's like scamming Pete. Yeah. Not out of any bad feelings, but just because that's what he does and had done to other people uh, with his fake, like I'm dying story. Um, so not only was that unmotivated, but then it just went away yeah. with no resolution for the unmotivated feeling. So now you have uh, Slim 
out of nowhere beaten up Mort for nothing. Like there was no motivation for him to get that angry. It's painful. And let alone to turn it on to to Porky. Yeah. They just I think the guy had his his three act structure laid out and he's like, Oh, this is the page where something's literally supposed what I was to about turn. To say. It's paint by number screenwriting. It's like, oh well, this the conflict has to happen now. So And now, I don't feel like going here. back and, and laying the groundwork right. for a conflict. Right. So I'll just make him beat some people up at the World's Fair. Based on a true story. Go fuck yourself. Oh man, I'm I'm really glad Joe Dante didn't get this made. Yeah. All right. Um, uh Slim and Street Clothes, that where we are. Uh, he dislikes the next... Oh, no. Uh, it's Slim's room. Pete and Dot come to the doorway. It's a small room with spare furnishings, no decorations, and no window in the yard. Slim in street... Oh, yeah. Uh, quieter, more hesitant. Hey, Pete. Dot, come on in. Uh, you guys didn't have to come way the hell out here. At Pregnant Dot. Look at you. It's good to see you, Slim. How are you doing? Okay, I guess... Boy, Madeline's mad as hell. She thinks I'm dogging it. Comes out and yells at me, there's nothing wrong with you. She never thought that before. Have a seat. They sit. Um, the studio called. They want me to come back. You going? I don't know. Working for those guys. You don't work for them. Right. I remember. You. I mean, I don't think we've got anything for you out there. what it said i mean i don't think we've got anything for you out here out here i'm sorry an exchange of gestures slim says slims says it's up to you kid and pete says he gets it you're not crazy are you slim i don't know you beat up the boss maybe but you beat up the boss and a pig you you were mad that's not you know what i think it's like in one of our things. Guy goes off the cliff and he's up there in the air. You know the deal. Keeps running. People like that. As long as he doesn't look down, he's fine. He always looks, though. Slim looks around the room. Yeah. Eventually. He makes a little wave of goodbye. Turns back toward the window. Pete and Dot start toward the door. Uh, hey, but Pete, don't give those guys any peace. Nah. Slim nods and fixes on the window as Pete and Dot leave. Dissolve 2. Interior, Termite Terrace. Room 15. Womp womp. Uh, Clark, Ned, Jerry, and the rest of Slim's troops are in here, sort of working. The mood is subdued and, as Pete comes in, conversation quiets altogether. Carefully, he goes over to Slim's vacant table and shakes some dust and dead petals out of the neglected bud vase. Vase. <laughs> With everyone watching, Pete opens his briefcase, takes out a flask of water for the vase, and a fresh bird of paradise in florist's paper. He positions the flower, touches the chair, but doesn't sit. He takes a few Bugs Bunny gag drawings from his briefcase, pins them up on the corkboard behind him. Now the... <coughs> the new Bugs picture... He looks at the guys. Is this okay? They look back. Go ahead. The gag here. Elmer goes for vacation in the woods and Bugs is there driving him crazy. You figure Elmer, he's gone out and bought the new tent and everything. West and we waxation at last. And that, this is a 
This is a Clampett cartoon. Okay. Just for the record, folks. Not a bad Elmer voice, and the ice starts to break. Right. So he sets up the tent. The rabbit pulls the tent down in his hole. It comes out all tied in knots. Yeah, that's good. Try that. Ned sketches. He could keep, he could keep him from going to sleep. <laughs> that's how you drive someone crazy. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, wait. Elmer's in the hammock. It's daytime. Bugs makes him think it's night. He could put a pair of glasses on him and paint, paint them black. So he... Oh, bedtime already. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to the bed. He goes to bed. Bugs takes the glasses off him. Make wakes him up again. Morning already. Elmer jumps up and Bugs gives us one of those. Ain't I a stinker or. Oh, this is Jerry. Folks, I do this kind of stuff to him all through the picture. <laughs> yeah. He takes Jerry's past forward drawing. Bugs painting out the glasses of the sleeping Elmer, and pins it up. Sold. Ad-lib talk and sketching continue as we... Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's oh, a drawing oh, of... Yeah. Pete's awesome. Oh, yeah. We all suck. Oh, yeah. Man, I wish I could be like him. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my dick was as big as Pete's. I guess Ex that's why we call him Peter. Exterior, Warner's Lot, evening. The end of the long day. One, one day, Pete will be <laughs> asked to leave this lot for lambasting Space Jam. Pete, bushed, gets in his car, drives toward the exit. Exterior. Coenga. Coenga. Thank you. Former L.A. resident. Yes. Exterior. Coenga Pass. Interior. Pete's car. Night. Hurrying home through the half-developed countryside, Pete hears a distant sound. Eerie. Off-key. Then hears it. Oh, my God. Does he get abducted by aliens at this point? <laughs> that would be fantastic. I mean, if you're going to go revisionist history, go big. I mean, <laughs> for a third act twist, that would fucking he, nail it. Can you, can you see Chuck Jones talking to the screenwriter and being like, and then guess how I met Marvin the Martian? <laughs> mm. uh, that would be so much better than what we're about to read. Eerie, off-key, then hears it again, but closer this time, and suddenly finds, ah, fuck you, a coyote in the roadway, staring at the oncoming headlights. Ah, oh, fuck this script. Pete swerves into the opposite lane to miss the animal, and then spends the next six years coming up with a cartoon for him. <laughs> fuck this script. Oh. oh, boy. Yeah, seriously, if you listen to this whole script with us and you still want them to make this you missed Look, the point to us we're we're mad at it because we know of this history yeah to an extent um but even if you don't it's a bad script yeah and even if you don't you're like i don't know why these guys are so mad <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's not a good script but wow, these guys are real pissed like Dude. i i think these guys are about to punch a guy in a pig suit <laughs> Do they know about women? <laughs> um, to miss the animal, which runs off the road and onto a low rise where he stops to howl, silhouetted by the low moon. Pete watches, mesmerized, but the coyote takes off over the rise and is gone. And Pete is hit by a car. <laughs> Do you know what this reminds me of at this point? What? You remember uh, when Shakespeare in Love came out? And someone made the short film parody of it, George Lucas in yeah, Love. Yeah, George Lucas in Love, yep. 
This yeah. is what that reminds me of. <laughs> Where like there's a girl who has the the buns on her head oh. <laughs> and he's got the asthmatic roommate who's tall and wears all black. Yeah. That was a really that was a really good little piece. Yeah, but a feature length film does not need to take right. such shortcuts like right. oh, he saw a coyote. Like he can sit in a room and want and to make fun of those cat and mouse cartoons and shit. I or, mean, you know, or this is supposed to be comedy. Like all throughout his book, there's there's stories of like, oh, you know, I you know, I'm came up with this gag because on the weekend I had to put something together in the garage and the way in which I injured myself, I never thought possible. And it's like, show him in the garage and then do some kind of, you know, yeah, not this like, falls or something. Not, not this weird, like <laughs> shamanistic omen yeah. of a coyote on his way home from his first night yeah. being the guy in charge of Bugs Bunny. And then right after it, I'm seeing down here ahead, they actually do address where he got the idea of the coyote. And it's like, well, then why have that other stuff before Be it? Because it's a talismanic. Okay. <laughs> it's it's hack is what it is. Just hacky bullshit. Yeah, talismanic is, is, is too distinct and good of a word. <laughs> to... Well, I don't know. They use that other word, froshy. Frowsy. Frowsy. Frowsy, which, by the way, describes this script. Look, look up the definition. Sean looked up the definition of frowsy. It's a... Scruffy and unkempt. Yeah, that's that's about right for this script. Yeah. Ah. Uh, um. Mes mesmerized, but the coyote takes off over the rise, and is gone, like us. Table reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. What's up, docs and docettes? Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the fuck? Here, watch your language, you bud. We're on the air. No, I said, why the heck isn't there a Looney Tunes critic? I mean, nobody's devoted strictly to Looney Tunes Merry Melodies, and whenever people do review that stuff, half the time they get it wrong. And they're all millennials, too, so everything before 1985 is racist. Ugh. Well, I'm the guy you want anyway. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. And every few months, I do a full-length review and or interviews with people who worked on Looney Tunes projects. Catch my videos on YouTube.com slash Ferris Wheelhouse 2, or just use the hashtag Looney Tunes Critic. And now, here's Eric Bowser, the new voice of Bugs Bunny, to bring this commercial home. And you've been listening to Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes Critic. Ain't he a stinker? Lights, camera, action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to Table Reads. So, uh, because right before the break, we we had a bit of a uh, diatribe. Yeah. I, I think we said all that needs to be said up to this point, right? Yeah, it's just it's just tedious at this point because they're just going to keep doing making the same mistakes over and over again. As well, always. let's find out what Chuck, I mean, Pete's great uh, inspiration was following the... Uh, the coyote incident. The, the coyote incident. That is exactly what we'll call it. Yeah. The coyote incident. Fade in. 
Interior, Pete and Dot's house. Later. The living room is coming along. Dot heads for a chair with a book. Stops on the way to see what Pete's reading. Roughing it. Yeah, Mark Twain. I haven't read it since I was a kid. Maybe Re one day I'll get to dress like him everywhere I go. Sorry. Reads. <laughs> this is actually a good, the one good piece of text I get to read, other than the cartoon stuff. The, cart the coyote is a long, slim, sick, and sorry-looking skeleton with a furtive and evil eye and a long, sharp face. He has a general slinking expression all over. Camera moves to Pete's free hand, which is sketching on a gag-sized piece of paper. Because you can read and sketch at the same time. Also, when I, when I see the term gag-sized piece of paper, <laughs> I'm picturing something eight feet by four feet. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's what he means is like, like an a thumbnail yeah, card, right? It's a cross between the coyote he saw and the one described by Twain, but with the Looney Tunes approach already transforming the creature. Mind the oh, radio. You mean the art style that Robert McKimson created? That one, yeah. Mind the radio. Pete, absorbed, shakes his head. Dot turns on the floor radio, which warms up. The coyote is a living, breathing allegory of want. He is always hungry, always poor, out of luck, and friendless. He's interrupted by the radio, an urgent newscast. Japanese bombing of the U.S. Naval Station at Pearl Harbor. Oh, sorry. Japanese bombing of the U.S. Naval Station at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. On midday, at midday today, Eastern Time. Pete and Dot, Dot start, stare at the radio. This is the part where Chuck mm -hmm. goes and kills Hitler. <laughs> Casualties are described as heavy. President Roosevelt is expected to address Congress tomorrow and ask for a declaration of war against Japan. He has ordered that all Japanese citizens be picked up and placed under surveillance. Yeah, that happened that day. <laughs> that day. At least we know the revisionist history isn't just exclusive oh, yeah, to... Yeah, it's, it's all over the this, world. This is basically an alt-history... <laughs> it's like Pearl Harbor happens... The dust is still settling, yeah. and Roosevelt's like, we should round up all the Japs and put them in internment camps. Oh, man. Dissolve 2, exterior termite terrace, day. A few weeks later, the backlot street is now an army camp set with jeeps, barracks facades, and extras in uniform. They're already making World War II pictures. The backlot street of termite terrace? Oh, okay. Whatever. The, the ter guess. Termite Terrace is on a backlot Yeah, screen. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought for some reason they were saying it was a set. No, I mean, the slug line could have been more clear that it's the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah. Interior, room 15. Pete and Jerry are at the board, pinning up gags for Bugs cartoon discussed at the story session. Animator 1 comes in and admires the work in progress. The board is nearly full. That's just about it. That's just about it, isn't it? It better be. We've got to start the training cartoons. We've got the Army advisors coming in next week. Clark comes in, carrying an empty cardboard box. He starts putting the contents of his desk into it. Hello and goodbye, men. We sail at dawn. He got drafted? Shakes his head. Enlisted. So that future generations, when they are bored, will have a Europe that they can do. You, you got a lump, don't you? Landy breezes into the room. Well, fellas, this is so long. I've had an offer from a bigger outfit. 
Pete goes over to him. Yeah, huh? Well, here's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. He readies a punch, but Landy holds up his hand for a timeout. Sure, Pete, go ahead. Take a shot at me. But you'll have to stand in line. The Japs, the Nazis, they get first crack, my friend. They've been drafted? I'm sorry, you've been drafted? Landy nods. I was the physical. But Landy steps away, already working on his thousand-yard GI stare as Ned enters in the background. I'll see you guys, and if not, well, happy landings. He leaves. The hell was that? Private Landy. Ah, jeez. The country's doomed. Let's surrender now. <laughs> Smash cut to cartoon image of terrible music. <laughs> of Daffy Duck in army uniform. Surrender? Ha! He's on solo patrol in a desolate setting at dusk, talking to himself as he cleans a rifle that is twice his height. We did it before and we could do it again. Eh, I'm sorry. We did it before and we're going to do it again for those who missed it. In the cold trees around him, pairs of wicked eyes start to appear. Daffy absently addresses them. Like you and you and... More of the eyes appear and move forward to reveal that they belong to cats with ominously foreign faces. You mean racist faces. <laughs> and you, and you. Daffy does a take. He finally realizes he's cornered. You mean surrounded. The cats move in. He backs away and a tiny pellet drops from nowhere into the midst of the advancing cats. They give it a curious look as it fizzes on the ground. Batman swoops in. <laughs> And it goes off, blowing the cats to pieces. It's the violent image of Ned Welch's dreams, flying limbs and startled, torn-off heads. But now a wave of crackling light comes from the place where the explosion occurred. I was just waiting for that end. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Freezing the segmented cats in midair and stripping them of their outer form to reveal skeleton arrays of small, bright-colored spheres like atoms in a science textbook. Daffy watches, boggled, as the spheres dissolve to the ground. He regains his bravado, but keeps backing up. See, the, I don't understand why they don't just say, we'll play the clip from this cartoon. Like, they're describing what happens in the cartoon with no changes. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, we'll give him the old, uh... He backs into a fox who wears glasses and a white lab coat. Daffy jumps a few feet. That was our secret weapon. Is he German? I don't remember this cartoon. Uh, uh, this, it's a Dashlin black and white cartoon. Shh. That was our secret weapon. Number ZX17 squared. It disintegrates the integrity of their subchemical integration and gives you whiter whites. <laughs> Can you keep a secret, soldier? As Daffy stammers an answer, new angle reveals. Interior, Army Intelligence Room, day. Back in live action, three U.S. Army intelligence officers watch the cartoon on an office wall. The senior officer turns the projector off as one of the others turns the lights on. I don't know. Wait. I don't, I've been told. <laughs> I don't. I don't want him to know which cartoons we're concerned about. It could be coincidence. But if he knows something and he's holding it back, he hands the junior men a photograph of Ned Welch. Can you do him as Foghorn Leghorn? The psychological profile will tell us all about it. Cut to exterior termite terrace. Day. The backlot street looks different again. 
At first, we might mistake the construction guys working here for grips or actors, but they're for real and they're demolishing the backlot street of buildings while a fresh sign promises the future home of Looney Tunes. Interior, Termite Terrace, Room 11. There are some new faces here these days because Trevor predicted that we were going to introduce new characters in Act yeah. 3. Yep. Unfamiliar artists replacing those who have gone into the service, but a number of our gang are still around, including Jerry, Ned, and Chris. We spot some Bugs Bunny merchandising stuff alongside the older Daffy and Porky products. Pete, handling Bugs example, handling Bugs extremes to a couple of young animators, is interrupted by a phone oh, call. Oh, handing, not handling. That's why. Oh, whatever. Oh. Pete, it's your wife. That's a great voice. What's up, Dad? And then by a stiff, young, uniformed army advisor. Morning, Pete. See you. Oh, see you a minute here. What? See you a minute here. Okay, I'll try it again. Morning, Pete. See you a minute here. Pete into the phone. Call you back. Pete hangs up and follows the advisor to the corkboard, where drawings for a training cartoon are pinned up. Bugs Bunny taking a rifle apart. Take a look at this. This clearly shows the safety on this ordinance as, as being knurled. Knurled? It's another word I got to write down. Hold on. You don't know what knurled is? I don't. It's that like diamond pattern that you get into. Ooh, I'll show you. Talk. All right. So you said you, you're getting ready to show me a pattern. And right before you did it, you went, ooh. <laughs> ooh, I have the pattern. Let me get out my pattern book. No, I just remembered <laughs> that I, this, this is knurling. Oh. So that's a knurled. So how do you describe that for the listener? I don't have to because they oh. know what it is. You're the only dumb one. Oh, sure. Everyone knows except me. Yeah. The sonic screwdriver has knurled. Uh, the 11th Doctor metal. Sonic Screwdriver. It's the, the diamond shape that you carve into metal to get a grip. Oh, okay. Get a grip. Yeah, man. Get knurled already. Um, Let me do it again. Oh, yeah, this whole conversation is you because yeah. you decided to be the advisor, so yeah. go ahead. Take a look at this. This clearly shows the safety on this ordinance as being knurled. Well, we did it. We did it from the drawings you guys gave us. Oh, those drawings were inoperational. Look at your spec update. That's not knurled. Got it. Anything else? The advisor leads Pete down the board a few drawings away. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Does this joke really work? Excuse me? It just seems flat to me. Maybe more of a twist. Pete blinks. Play with it. As he leaves, a passing young assistant asks Pete, Pete, have you seen Bambi yet? Uh, yeah, it's pretty. I've got a friend that's an assistant at Disney. I've got a friend that's an assistant at Disney's. He says Walt ran one of your Bugs pictures for the whole bunch of the guys there. Told me I wanted to see him do something that funny. And Bambi is what they came up with. <laughs> <laughs> that stops Pete. He reflects on it for a second, till Animator 2 comes in, gesturing toward the disappearing backlot street next door. Boy, I just saw the plans for the new building. Water coolers. Linoleum. They're saying December. It's Animator 2. I don't remember what voice I did for him <laughs> Animator before. 2 is John Mulaney. <laughs> This was at nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> They're saying December. That's so soon. 
Soon? You hate this place. Yeah, I'm gonna miss hating it. <laughs> Lou Brand comes in, comes over to Pete. Pete, this business over here. <laughs> he leads Pete to another set of gag drawings with a caricatured Hitler prominent. Lou looks around, makes sure the army guy is out of earshot before he speaks. Aren't we being a little rough on Hitler here? I mean, we don't know who's going to win this thing. That's not even fucking Warner Brothers. That's MGM. Fred Quimby said that to Tex Avery about the cartoon The Blitz Wolf. Now he's stealing from other fucking studios? Fuck you, Chuck. No, hold on. I'm going to put this on the screenwriter. He's just... He's just mixing, uh, I guess. I mean, he's, uh, he's making anecdotes now. He's making, he was making Schlesinger out to be like Disney with the whole drawing thing. So yeah. who knows? He's, he's just making animation stew. Uh, only nine more pages. Jesus Christ. This hurts. Hmm. This might be like the, Hold on, I'm going to read this again. Aren't we being a little rough on Hitler here? I mean, we don't know who's going to win this thing. Well, you'll be okay either way. Lou starts to answer, stops, and leaves, doping that one out. That's not, I, how do you make words? <laughs> <laughs> that does it. I'm enlisting. Coward. Sheila comes in. I love that. <laughs> I like Ned. He's my favorite character. Yeah. Sheila comes in. Maybe we'll figure out one day who Ned's supposed to be. Ned, there's some guys here to see you. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's Janine Melnitz. Yeah, I know. He follows her out. That's true, yeah. Nancy's more of a ha 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 ha. Nancy would have been like, Ned, there's some guys here to see you. <sighs> it's only funny for me, but oh my God, it's so accurate. <laughs> I got to do more characters as, as Nancy. That's you and, one of my yeah, strong suits. You and Jay Moore, man. I remember Jay Moore talked about that a lot where he's like, oh, man, I know. He knew so Nancy? No, but he has so many impressions of people that only he knows. Yeah. He's like, there's like five people that if they just got famous, I'd have an act. <laughs> Ned, there's some guys here to see you. He follows her out past Jerry, who's going, going over gags with two young animators. Jerry's happier than we've ever seen him. And the giraffe says, smart GIs know the social diseases can be lurking anywhere. And then we go to the girl here. Now this part's terrific. <laughs> Pete, heading for the corridor, stops at Chris's desk. Chris is piling up drawings as fast as ever. You know, I was thinking, you think we could do that, do one that was just a chase, like the whole picture? Oh, my God. Chris answers without looking up from his work. No talking? Hmm? No, it's... Mm, mm. Mm. He goes into the hall. Interior. Corridor. And has another near... Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and has another near collision with Rudy the Runner. <laughs> Still thinking, Pete moves on as we cut to... Interior. Room 15. In the otherwise unoccupied room, Ned is at his desk with the two plainclothes intelligence officers who have been sent to check him out. You be both those intelligence officers. Okay, I thought you were already intelligence officer one. Okay, I'll be intelligence officer one. Mr. Welsh, we want to talk to you about your work, your cartoons, the way you handle certain scenes of... Violence. 
conflict. Ned nods soberly. <laughs> We've got this cartoon idea. It's called Itchy and Scratchy. <laughs> I know the stuff you're talking about. I figured someone would be coming around. See, I've believed for years that there are better kinds of damage. Better ways to blow things up. It's kind of my passion. The officers exchange a look. Better than... The way we do it now. Excuse me. He has noticed the time on his desk clock. He opens a desk drawer, reaches in with tongs, and comes out with a steaming hot dog. The intelligence officers are distracted by this, but try to keep up the conversation. Uh, and you know about a better way? I've got lots of better ways, not just one. The agents are intensely curious, and Ned opens another drawer, takes out a condom. I've got things that would devastate them. I mean... Why not just flatten the little bastards? I've got the drawings. Um, what kind of... For example, I've got one involving a Datsund, a piece of flypaper. Dashound. Datsund. Is that how you say it? Yeah. I've got one involving a Datsun, a piece of flypaper, some pepper, and an electric fan. He makes an explosive gesture with the naked hot dog in one hand and the condom in the other. The wicker basket from upstairs appears outside Ned's window. He puts the condom on it, takes the money off it, opens another drawer, gets a bun for the hot dog. Um, how big a piece of flypaper are we talking about? Same size as the Datsun. Six, seven feet, you know. Six feet? Sure, but geez, leaving here, I don't know. The officers look even more confused than before. Ned puts the weenie in the basket, tugs the string. The basket levitates. You boys are from Disney's, aren't you? I can tell by the suits. <laughs> That's a good line. All of this is great. Yeah, stuff with Ned is all good. Yeah. With Cal, yeah. Yeah, Ned's the greatest. <laughs> he was, according to Chuck. Cut two, exterior, backlot street, day. On the backlot street beside Termite Terrace, the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the new animation building is taking place. It's a well-attended affair with terrorist staffers, studio execs, and reporters and press photographers. Jack Warner, golden scissors in hand, introduces Mort. Pleasure to introduce America's Mr. Laughter, our own Mort Gustafson. Thank you, Mr. Warner. You know... But Mort's remarks are interrupted as an adorable depression waif kid in the Jackie Coogan mold comes running up to him with paper and pencil. Mr. Gustafson, would you make a picture of Porky Pig? They actually spelled it P-I-C-K-S-U-R-E. Yes, picture. Awes and a little applause from the crowd. Oh. Mort smiles sickly, demurs. Uh, of course, son. Later, later. But the kid persists. It's not for me. It's for my little brother. He's awful sick in a hospital, and the medicine costs a terrible price, and it's his last wish and all. <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, sorry. Yes, well, later I'll... Uh... Please, mister. Mort finally gets hot under the collar. I said later. And involuntarily lifts his hand as if to hit the little pest. The kid, a trooper, spelled with a U for some reason, <laughs> takes full advantage of the moment, going into a flinch and bursting into tears. 
On the flinch, all the photographer's flashbulbs pop. What the fuck is this? I have no idea what this what is even supposed to be. What the fuck is this? I, have, I don't even know. Like This guy ran out of anecdotes and is like, fuck it. Um, Leon Schlesinger hits a kid. Where's the Mr. Laughter thing coming from? The America's Mr. Who like knows? Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, there we go. Uh, uh, can we just tap out early? I mean, good God. <laughs> Mort, flustered. We've got eight pages. Yeah, too many. Mort, flustered, makes nice with the kid, but we can just see the photo in tomorrow's papers. The poor kid recoiling in terror from Mr. Laughter. Jack Warner's expression tells us he can imagine it too. Angle in the crowd finds Pete and Jerry, Enjoying the action and speaking Sato voice. <laughs> Where'd you find the kid? Republic. Ten bucks plus lunch. Jerry hands Pete a few bucks. <laughs> Cheap at that price. Cut to exterior. Army base. Day. A busy army camp somewhere in the U.S. Just somewhere. Among the soldiers heading into a Quonset hut, we spot Jack Landy. Smartly uniformed and yakking it up to a few other soldiers as they file inside. I feel like yakking. You know who's making these training things? Warner Brothers. I used to run things there. You know, pretty much. Uh-huh. I'm a soldier, by the way. Great bunch of guys back there. This ought to be good. Interior, Quonset Hut. The soldiers, on benches, watch a training cartoon in the style of Warner Brothers' Private Snafu series. What do you mean in the style of? Why isn't it Private Snafu? It's just Private Snafu. On screen, a platoon of cartoon soldiers marches in neat formation. Where have but, we seen that before? Yeah. A platoon of cartoon soldiers? I think that has, yeah, toon platoon, yeah. <laughs> but wait, who's this? At the rear of the platoon, an unmistakable caricature of Jack Landy is out of step, yakking at the guy next to him. Why, it's Private Looney. Landy's voice is perfectly imitated. So I says to him, oh yeah, you and what Navy? Lousing, thing, lousing things up for the whole platoon as usual. In the Quonset Hut crowd, camera finds the real Landy, horrified. No, he's not a spy for Toho. Tojo. Tojo. Oh, I said Toho. Fucking Godzilla company. Start again. No, he's not a spy for Tojo. It just seems that way sometimes. On screen, Landy's alter ego is in a barracks, throwing stuff into his pack every which way. Looney can't find his field manual, so he helps himself to the other guys. As Looney swipes stuff off on screen, the guys around Landy watch him with amused curiosity. On a weekend pass, Looney just loves to impress the gals with inside stuff. Looney, dancing with a girl at a USO hall. But we're all shipping out in August, so I figure you and I haven't got much time. As a suspiciously teutonic-looking wolf nearby listens in. In the audience, Landy gets still hotter under the collar as guys point to him. We'll be showing you more of Private Looney's misadventures the next 12 films in this series. On Landy, mouthing silently, <laughs> 12. Meanwhile, don't you be a Private Looney. There's no room for that kind of guy in this kind of army. And this could be a long war. Off Landry's increasing misery. Cut to exterior termite terrace. Evening. Dot parks the Chevy at the curb, goes inside. No longer pregnant, she carries a sleeping baby in her arms. Where'd she get the baby? Holy shit. 
<laughs> Interior, room 15. Pete is drawing, cranking workout, oblivious to the late hour and the fact that he's alone. Oh, this is the scene where he animates an entire cartoon all by himself <laughs> in one night. Because that's how I feel like Chuck's portraying himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oblivious to the late hour and the fact that he's alone, almost as bad about this as Slim used to be. Dot comes in behind him, whispers, Pete. He starts, then sees Dot and the kid, beats them up. <laughs> then sees Dot and the kid and looks at his watch. They whisper, I'm sorry. It's okay. Pete looks at the conked out kid, smiles. They walk quietly to the door. Hungry? Yeah, let's eat her. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Hungry? Yeah. Pete turns out the light. Interior, termite terrace, corridor. By the way, it said that uh, Pete was surprised there when he said, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Surprised that she wants to eat at the end of the day? <laughs> why, why is she, why is he hungry? Yeah. What, how did, I didn't. how could you have known that? <laughs> uh, Pete turns out the light. Interior, termite terrace, corridor. And camera holds, looking down the corridor from room 15 as they leave the room. We hear a, vi a final, thank God, final yeah. is the best word I've seen in the script. <laughs> Voice over letter home from Pete. Dear folks, that's all. No. Dear folks, they're tearing the building down tomorrow and opening a new one for us. The termites would have listened. The termites would have taken this one down anyway. He reaches into one room after another, turning out lights as they go. Besides... By a few years from now, I doubt anyone's going to even remember what we were doing in here. Other voices join in. The ghosts of Termite Terrace past, echoing in the corridor. Uh, X, the my unknown. best work will never be seen by the average Count public. your fingers, uh, huh? No shortcuts. My best work will never be seen by the average public. Scampy shrimpy. Pete and Dot recede from camera, the building falling into darkness behind them. But it was fun for us. Not us, the audience, just, you know, us. As Pete, the guy. But it was fun for us, and fun for people that were waiting for the, f the feature to start. Which is funny. Sometimes the stuff you see while you're waiting for things turn out turns out to be the best stuff of all. Pete and Dot go out the door in background, as camera, still in room 15, pans across pictures of Bugs, Porky, Daffy. Anyhow, love from all of us. Stopping at Pete's table and moving in on his last drawing of the day, a bright-eyed, imperturbable roadrunner to all of you and the roadrunner in pete's drawing animates starts running and speaks in rudy the runner's voice pete camera moves in till the moving image on pete's table fills out frame as wily e. coyote takes off after the roadrunner in their debut fast and furious a cartoon under, that would come out 10 years later <laughs> under our end credits Wiley paints a fake tunnel on the rock face, watches the Roadrunner run into the tunnel, then slams fat, flat against it himself. He sets up a fake school crossing sign, only to get blind, blended by the Roadrunner as he blurs past, returning with a sign that says, Roadrunners can't read. We know, we've seen the cartoon. Why, why is he describing the whole cartoon? Because he's a hack why, writer. <laughs> it, it plays under our end credits. It's all you need. Yeah. As the cartoon and credits near their end, we pull back from the cartoon again, to see that it's still playing on Pete's sheet of drawing paper. The last image stays there for a second, 
then fades from the paper, leaving room 15 still and empty. And then the room is flooded with light from the windows for just a moment before we fade out. The end. There's so much wrong with this fucking thing, dude. I want to just, from the, like, right away, point out this ending reads as if Wiley, Road, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner are the apex yeah. of the Warner Brothers. Like, all of this has led to the creation <laughs> of the Roadrunner yeah. and Coyote. Yeah. That, that's want, how this really reads. If you want an ending like that, then end it with you know, Virgil Ross sketching Bugs Bunny for the first time or something like that. Because Bugs or even Porky, I would accept. But like, yeah, you're right. The Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons. Well, to be fair, they are Chuck's chief contribution. And he is the for, hero. Of original characters. Yeah, and he is the hero of this picture. I I, I would say that his greatest contribution is in uh, the reworking of Daffy yeah. from a loony hoo-hoo-hoo character to the... Yeah, smarmy character. That and we even know. then, I don't even know because there was a transition where it was like in the in the in the mid '40s to the early '50s, where he was transitioning from being a loony character to that greedy character, and he was interesting there. He they got more interesting. You're like halfway. Yeah, I mean. but then like in, you know towards the end of it, he was just a piece of shit all the time for no motivational reason. Other yeah, that's than he's true. Always that. That's true. He and took it, it too far. Yeah, exactly. But as far as the characters he created, it, yeah, I don't mean to demean what from, he created. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying from whole cloth, right? Uh, obviously, Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote are the are the biggest. Yeah, mm -hmm. to the yeah. point where he had to make two different characters out of Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ralph Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> Ralph Wolf and Wiley e. Coyote, super genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, Very different. One has a red nose. One has a black nose. Yeah, Marvin the Martian, uh, not. Yeah, he had five cartoons. Yeah. He was uh, more popular as marketing than yeah. as a character. Yeah. 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 It's a, Marvin's like the Boba Fett of, of the Looney Tunes franchise. He really is. You yeah. Um, with his famous line, he's no good to me, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I think we've said all that we can say about this thing. I really want, I mean, I'm happy because, you know, I love doing the show and, and, I, and I miss doing the show with you. And also, this is the first show I've done in your your lovely new podcast studio. Hey, me too. So as cool as that is, I really want this to be over. Really. This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more, visit TableReadsPodcast.com. Cut to black. black.